Now, as we jump into Matthew uh, 26, why I say that, I want you to hold, we're, we're gonna get there. Hang with me, we will get there at some point. Uh, but but I, I wanna explain that I'm, I'm one of those guys, if you don't know me well, I, I like to use whatever I can to make sure I get the point across. So across the years, I've, I've used a variety of object lessons. And some of them have been great, some of them, not so great. Uh, like, uh, I think it was last year or so, I, I brought my incredible hawk hands. Anybody remember those, the incredible hawk fists? And I was teaching through Romans 7, that whole Jekyll Hyde t- type of thing. And uh, so, you know, we used that one, one time years ago. We did a series called Elephant in the Living Room. And, and we just... It literally, I think it was uh, the Saturday before we started the series, me and at that time, Pastor Brian Taylor and Pastor Matt Ritchie, we were, we were hanging out. I'm like, man, we need to help illustrate this. And so we decided to set the stage up in, in like a living room and we had a couch. And so the very first Sunday as we're doing, it's a family series, elephant in the you know, living room, like you know, dealing with the issues. We brought this little small plush elephant and put it on the couch. And they're like, oh, that's, you know, that's kind of a cool visual. Well, the next week, we bought a larger elephant. It, it literally got to the place that, for the last one, and this is where everything went off the rails. I said, hey, Brian, let's see. Why don't we see if we can find an elephant costume? And I want you to sit on the platform while I'm preaching. Your life-size elephant in the living room. Which, I, like in theory, it was a great idea. I realized as Brian was trying to open a bag of chips in an elephant costume that I had totally lost the people. And so I did what we were preaching about. I kicked the elephant out of the living room, man. It was great. And so that worked. Another time I decided I was going to wear this massive big suit to talk about how, man, we, we have been called children of God and it's this big thing and we're not even worthy of it. It's bigger than we are. And so I came out wearing this massive suit and it was like a size 4X. I got it at Goodwill or whatever. I got the biggest suit I could find. And as I came out wearing this, it, man, it's a great, effective illustration until my pants fell down. Literally, they just <laughs> fell down. And I'm like, dude. That did not work well. And so like I'm saying, like some object lessons work, some not so well. But here's the deal. Object lessons are are great things that help us grasp what can be at times complex things. Or it it helps it become tangible. And it's interesting because God himself used object lessons. In fact, when you read through the Old Testament, which by the way, as we jump in, here's what you gotta know. When you hear the Old Testament, like testament isn't a word that we use a lot. It it literally means covenant. It's talking about the covenant that God made with with his people, the Jews. And so like when you you hear Old Testament, don't think, oh, that's just the part of the Bible that, that doesn't matter anymore. First of all, it does matter. It's, it's the old covenant. Now, now I don't want you to miss this. The writer of Hebrews emphatically says that we have a new covenant. We have a better covenant. It has better promises. We have a better mediator, Jesus Christ himself. But here's the reality. We can't unhook the Old Testament from the New Testament because for us to appreciate and understand all that Christ has done, we have to understand that the Old Testament provides this context. It provides teaching. Old Testament, what, God, what we have in the Old Testament is a beautiful thing. It is the inspired word of God. And so you, we, we, can't, we can't miss out on this. 
But in the Old Testament, God not only made a covenant with his people, he would, he would, often, he would often use object lessons. And so I actually want to spend some time talking about one that I think is very, very uh, appropriate as we head into the Easter season. Now, obviously, I've got a table here, and, uh, and so if, if you're looking around, some of you immediately know what this table represents, but I'll explain. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, like, one of my favorite things to do is to hang out with people. People are like, what, what's your favorite thing to do? I just like to hang out with people. I'm a people person. Like, I, the only night that I am peopled out is usually on Sunday night. Like, that's about the only time, except for that, I like hanging out with people, and there's something powerful that happens when we eat together. And, and man, I love food, don't get me wrong, but it's what happens around a table as we eat together that's just a powerful, powerful thing. Well, it's interesting that God used feasts. In fact, literally in the Old Testament, they're called Feast of Yahweh, Feast of God. He used them as one of his object lessons, one of his object lessons to make sure that we grasp some, some very important things. And so they, they were part of something called, uh, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, he would call them together for these feasts. It was called a holy convocation. That word, that Hebrew word translated convocation is mikra. You're probably not going to, you know, go look up mikra. But what mikra literally means, it's, it's like a dress rehearsal. It's another word that's also used for dress rehearsal. Very interesting. And as we jump through this, you might be able to catch what this means. And so for 1,500 years or so, the people of God would gather. There were, there were three primary feast seasons. There are seven feasts that are mentioned in the, the Old Testament law. Uh, if you go to Exodus, especially Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But, but the one feast I want to focus on this morning because it was the granddaddy of them all was, was, was a feast season called the Passover. There was a, there was a meal, the, the, the Passover, where we'd come together and, and you would take this. And so we're going to jump into what this represents here. Now, what, what, the, what the Passover specifically represented, the different feasts had, you know, they represented different things. This was actually a memorial to something that had happened. You can read about this in Exodus when God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Anybody ever heard that story? Anybody, you, you heard that story? Yeah, okay. Like, if you don't feel the story, go check out Exodus. I'll give you a quick summary. God heard the cries of Israel. They're enslaved. In, uh, in, in Egypt, he heard the cries and he sent them a deliverer by the name of Moses. Moses was the first great prophet of, of Israel. He's also, uh, they, they also referred to him as their Messiah. Uh, he was their first Messiah. And Moses came, he had a very simple message from the Lord uh, for Pharaoh, the head of Egypt. And it was just simply this, let my people go. And we're told that Pharaoh hardened his heart. He would not let the people go. In fact, he made them work harder. And even though God sent plague after plague after plague after plague, he hardened his heart even more. He said, you're not going to go. But it was finally, when you get to Exodus 11, Exodus 11, 5, the, the last plague is, is, is announced and it's, it's a bad one. God said that every firstborn son in Egypt would die. And not just of the Egyptians, it was any, just all firstborn sons are going to die. I mean, if God's going to be a just God, if God is God, he says it's wrong. Like if he doesn't do something about that, he's not just. So he has to be just. But at the same time, God is also a gracious and merciful God. 
And so he did provide a way of escape. And so if you know the story, the way of escape to, to escape this, this plague, and we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit uh, more as we go, but on the 10th of the month of Nisan, uh, that was the religious, the religious calendar that the, that the Israelites observed, you would take a lamb, and so on that 10th day of the month, you, uh, you would take the lamb into the house, he would be there until the 14th, you'd have to care for the lamb, look out for the lamb, make sure the, the, the lamb was, was ritually clean, then the lamb would be presented for the priest for inspection, and then the lamb would die. Now, the first, the, the first Passover, there was no priest in, involved there. You just, they took the lamb, they killed the lamb, and then here's what God said. In fact, you can read this in Exodus 12, 13. He said the blood was to go over the door jam. You put it on the sides of the door above, and verse 13 said, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, he was sending an angel to execute justice. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And if you're familiar with the story, the rest of the, the story is this, that each person who did this escaped the judgment of the Lord. Now, obviously, there were many who didn't, and that was, that was really the catalyst for Pharaoh finally saying, get out of here, leave. And so what we see is that the, the, the Israelites were ready to go. They took everything. They, they took the bread before it had raised. They took, they took their belongings. And, and in fact, even Egyptians said, here, just take, just get out of here. Take whatever happened, just get out of here. And they left. Now, here's the thing. I mean, when something like this happens, you gotta think about this. They've been in slavery for, for centuries. When something of this magnitude happens, you leave and you're like, oh, I can't, this is an unbelievable turn of events. Like, we're never gonna forget this. But hold on a second. We always forget. Like, you, something big happens, and you're like, I am never gonna forget this moment, and yet you do. Guys, if you've ever for, forgot your anniversary date, you know we're forgetful people. I did it one time. That's all it takes is one time, one time. And so, you know, that, that's, that's why we have birthdays. That's why we have anniversaries. That's why we have days like Thanksgiving, Memorial Day, why we commemorate, why we remember, you know, Pearl Harbor Day, 9-11. Why? So we remember. The whole point of these days is not just a celebration. Literally, it has everything to do with not forgetting. And so again, we're talking about these feasts were God's object lesson. And so there were parts of this where God would bring them together. And the, the, the purpose of this was, was twofold. And I want to introduce the first part here. The first part of this feast was so they would not forget, forget what he had done for them in Egypt. And so there are different elements to, to this. The, the first thing that they would do uh, would, would be to, to uh, select uh, the best uh, most healthy and most perfect yearling lamb that they owned. And so again, like I said, you would bring the lamb into the household. And so when I say bring it in, like you have a lamb in the house. You're caring for the lamb. You're taking care of the lamb. Because when you present it to the priest on the 14th day to, to make sure you, you don't want... You don't want to miss out on the feast. You don't want to miss out on the celebration because you didn't take care of the lamb. And so they take the lamb in and you think about it, man, your kids get used to the lamb. It's the only lamb that's allowed in the house, hopefully. Uh, and, and so like you, 
they, they get useless. And, and so it had to be a traumatic thing when the, when the lamb died. I mean, meat would have been a treat back in those days. But I don't know, it doesn't taste as good when you, you, you had this attachment. And so, so the lamb was, was, the, was the centerpiece of, of, of this meal. But then there were, there were other aspects. There was, there was the unleavened uh, bread, the unleavened bread that was part of this. There were, there were, the, uh, there were the bitter herbs, and, and it'd be represented by different things, but, but there would there'd be bitter herbs that would remind them of, of their slavery in Egypt, what they were delivered from, and that sort of thing. When it came to the unleavened bread, it was a reminder that, that their bread didn't rise. They took the, they, they took the bread with them before, be, before it would rise uh, when, they, when they left Egypt. But interestingly enough, all throughout the Old Testament, Leaven is actually, a, uh, it's just used symbolically time and time again. It's used to symbolize sin. And so this whole thing of leaving out the leaven symbolized breaking the old cycle of sin, walking in newness with God. You know, they, they, they didn't leave out the leaven in order to be redeemed in the ceremony. They left out the leaven because they were redeemed. I'm going to pause this in my notes. But if you're walking with Jesus, this is a really important thing. We don't walk righteously to be, to be saved. We walk righteously because we are saved. Big, big, big difference between the two things. And a lot of times we, we think we're all about earning our salvation. We don't earn our salvation. We walk in newness of life because of what God has done. And so then there were also the, 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 four, the four glasses, uh, the four cups of, of wine that would be at each celebration. And you might want to write this down. Go, back, go to Exodus chapter 6, or you can write down Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Those four glasses would represent four promises that God had made to them in Exodus chapter 6. First of all, a cup of sanctification, they called it. Uh, they would remember that this was the first cup they would drink. And, and, and this, go, this is tied to, to his promise, I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. The second cup that would be drunk, uh, 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 the first cup was at the beginning of the feast, then a little, little, Ways in, you'd have the second cup, which is the cup of deliverance, uh, tied to the, the promise, I will rescue from their bondage. And then there was the third cup, which is the cup of redemption, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And then the fourth cup was the cup of praise, I will take you as my people. And they would close the, the, the ceremony with that fourth cup. Now, when, when you would celebrate the Passover, there were some important qualifications. First of all, this was part of the covenant that God had made with his people. And so, you, now, to, to be, you know, if you were a Jew and you partook of the, of, the, of the celebration, a couple things. First of all, you had to be ritually clean, which means if you'd had contact with a dead body, for example, you, man, there was a whole process that you had to make sure that you were clean. So they didn't do funerals before, you know, leading up to, to Passover. Or if they did, there was a whole ritual they had to be part of. In fact, a lot of the pilgrims that would come to Jerusalem from all the different parts, they would, on their way, have to sleep different places. And if you, you remember Jesus talking to Pharisees and he called them, you're like a whitewashed tomb. Remember that? 
Well, that doesn't mean anything to us. Like, what's the context? Well, what the Jews would, would do is, is because the, the people on their way, they would sleep in caves. Well, there were some caves where they buried people, and so they wouldn't be ritually unclean. Leading up to Passover, when the pilgrims are coming, they would, they would paint over. There would be a white there at the, at the front, so you know it's a tomb. You don't go into a tomb because you're going to be ritually unclean. You've got to be clean to, uh, to celebrate this. Obviously, you also, uh, you know, there are other parts of the, the covenant, uh, you know, if you're a part of the household of faith. But if you were an outsider, you were a, uh, a slave or you were another person, you were, you were allowed to be part of this. It's just that you had to meet the terms of being ritually clean of, of, uh, of, of faith. But then also, guys, you'd have to be circumcised. I mean, that was, a, that was part of the, the ritual back there. So by the time we get to, by the time we get to Jesus' time, we get to Matthew chapter 26, the time of Christ, here's how they would celebrate the ceremony. It looked different ways. In fact, out of curiosity, how many of you have ever celebrated a Passover? Anybody ever done that? Okay, so several of you have done this. So that, in fact, a little bit different how they did it before Christ, how they did it in Christ's time, the second temple period, and then, well, leading into the second temple period, and then how, how we do it today. Time of Christ, there would be a presider, a person who, who led the meal because this wasn't just, the point was not just eating. Again, this is God's object lesson. Everything means something. And, and so there would be the host, which is almost always the father of the household. And, and how this would, would begin, he would op- open an offering, he, he would have an opening prayer, then they would pour the, four, the they would have the first cup of wine, they would pour the f- first cup of wine, they would take that, for the cup of, of sanctification, then they would, they would go, the, the host would go to each person, and he would have this, this basin of water, and he'd have the rag, and he would wash the hands of, of each person that was in the room. Now, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you, because all four of them include details about the Last Supper, as we, as we call it, it's interesting because you'll see many of the different elements of a Passover. That Jesus was the one that was presiding. And even in John 13, remember, he didn't just wash their hands. What did he do? He washed their feet, which was, that was mind-blowing because the father of the household never would do such a menial task. That was for the kids or even the slaves to do. And that's why Peter's like, no, no, you can't do this. You can't do this. And Jesus like, oh, if I don't do this, you're not part of, you're not part of my king. He's like, wash all of me. Like, like he got it. But it was, it was a shocking thing. But again, that was part of, of the ceremony. Well, after, after they would have, after they would have the, uh, the, the ceremony of washing of the hands, then there would come the first dipping of food. And th- this is where they would, uh, they would actually take something, so, sometimes it would be like lettuce or whatever to represent the bitter herbs. You would dip it in the, the vinegar or salt water or whatever, and, and you, would, you would partake in that. And then the father would, would follow that up. He would ask the youngest person in the room specific questions having to do with what they were observing. And after the questions would be answered, the father would then take them back and tell again the the story of Israel, starting with Abraham, going to Egypt, talking about the deliverance from slavery, the giving of the law. And before he would do this, they would actually take the the table away because they wanted to be focused on the remembering and then they bring the table back. And, and real quick, this has nothing to do with anything. 
But I think it's very significant. And I think it's still significant. Dads and grandpas that will lead our families. It was very significant that the dads led their family in explaining some of these things. You're like, well, I just don't know some of these things. Dude, I get it. But we can learn. I think there's something significant about this, and I think it's still significant. That's not, I'm not demeaning, man, the incredible godly women that you lead and, and God uses you, but man, there's something powerful about this. And there's a reason God set it up this way. Well, they would pour the second cup of wine. They would, they would take the second cup as the, as the food came back and uh, they, they'd wash their hands a second time. And then after, after uh, pronouncing a blessing over the bread, he would have explained what all the bread stood for. Uh, the father would, would break the unleavened bread, hand it out, hand out pieces to, to each one of the, the family and they would all take and, and that would be you know, that, that partaking of the unleavened bread would be part of the significant. And before he, before he would hand out the bread, there was actually a little ritual, different things that, that they would say. And again, they would dip it into, there was like this mixture, kind of a paste of, of fruit and nuts and that sort of thing and herbs that you would, that you would mix this into. You would, you would take this and then they would eat the main course. They would eat the lamb. And again, he, he would introduce and talk about the significance of the lamb. Like, you're like, oh, please stop. You're killing us. No, hold on a second. There's a third cup. And the third cup was, the, there was a blessing that they would chant together. They would recite, like, if you want to see part of what they recited, go to, if you go to Psalm 115 through 118, Psalm 115 through 118 was how you closed every Passover. It's called the Hallel. And they, they would recite, they knew these, they had these chapters memorized. They would recite them together. They would take the last cup of wine. They would sing a hymn. And then that was it. They would, they would leave. The last the last thing that they ate, though, because the, the bread would be dipped into this first, the last part they would eat would be the lamb. You sing the hymn, they would leave. And you're like, oh my goodness, please move forward. What's this have to do with us? I'm glad you asked that question because that's gonna take us to Matthew 26. Because when you look at Matthew 26, remember, again, Jesus, he is a Jew. He's observing the festivals. This whole, the symbolism obviously is not lost on him. But what we see here is something unique when we read in verse, in verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and, and by the way, here in, in different places, it talks about the different, cu different cups that he takes. Here, when it talks about the cup, it's the third cup. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, I told you there were two parts about the Feast of Yahweh. First of all, they pointed backwards as something to help us remember but what the Apostle Paul reminds us in Colossians chapter 2, as he's talking about the feasts and Sabbaths and significance of that, he says these are, here's the second part, they are a shadow of the things to come. 
There's, there's a remembering aspect in which you're looking back, but, but God uses this object lesson as also some, as a means to foreshadow something to come. And he said, the substance of this belongs to Christ. And so what Jesus does here in what we call the Last Supper, I actually think we ought to call it the First Supper because like it... It's, it's an amazing thing because it's been repeated time and time and time again as literally today around the world, there are millions of people who are partaking in communion. But what he says here, what he does changes everything and it makes it very important and significant to us because there are a lot of us here, we're Gentiles, which like if you're a Gentile, it just means you're not a Jew. Like, our, like that's not what we go back to in an ethnic way. But at the same time, what Jesus says here, it changes everything. In fact, by using the Passover meal, what Jesus does is he takes this, this object lesson and he actually changes things a little bit. And what, what, because of what he does here, he points out the importance of his death, why he died, and why it matters to us. You see, first of all, Jesus was the one presiding over this meal. He, he was the one that took the role of the, of the father, what, is, what does John 1 tell us? John 1 says that, that, that Jesus was God. He calls him the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He's, he is the one that, that literally gave God a face. He presides over this meal. He's the one that's walking them through, saying what needs to be said. And ordinarily, when you would take the bread, as, as we're reading here, the host would break the bread, and before he handed it out, he would say, because he's pointing back to Egypt, he would, he would say... This is the bread of the affliction which our fathers ate in the wilderness. They suffered that we would be delivered. Now catch what Jesus did. Jesus did not say that. What did Jesus say? We just, we just read it. Jesus instead says, this is the bread of my affliction. You can read, go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at the different uh, the, uh, tellings of you know, the different perspectives there of the Last Supper. You're going to get this, this big picture here. He said, this is the bread of my affliction. This is the bread through which I'm going to bring you out of a greater bondage. In fact, what he's saying is tonight, I'm going to pull off a greater redemption than being delivered from, uh, from political slavery in Egypt. I'm going to deliver you from sin and death itself. And that's why we sing the song that we sang this morning, Living Hope. Jesus Christ, our living hope. He's the one that sets us free. We, we sang those lies. He sets us free from death. He sets us free from sin. We sang that this morning. And what Jesus did is he, he literally, in essence, hijacks, if you will, the meaning of God's object lesson. And while for 1,500 years it had symbolized what God had done with, with a First Messiah, a lesser Messiah, Jesus is saying, from now on, when you do this, read Mark and Luke, he says, do this in remembrance of me. You don't, don't remember Egypt anymore. From now on, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And there are three takeaways from this passage that I read as we lay the foundation for where we're going over the next few weeks heading into this Easter season. As we celebrate Christ's resurrection, we have to understand some of the significance. You see, what Jesus was saying when he was talking about his body and his blood, he was making this point. My death is the central point of history. Write that down. Christ's death is the central point of history. 
every part of the history of God's people living up to this point, it's been, it's been pointing towards the cross. Every, every exile, every deliverance from a wicked king or oppressive ruler like we've been studying through the book of Judges, Every, uh, every substitutionary sacrifice of an animal, everything that has ever happened in the history of redemption, Jesus is making a bold claim. It's the cross. This is the climactic moment in, in the history of redemption, not just for God's people, the Jews, literally for the entire world. Jesus is, what, what he's saying here is that everything in God's object lesson, it's been a dress rehearsal, but we're rehearsing for this moment right here. It's been leading up to this right here. This is the deliverance of all deliverances. I am the Messiah of all Messiahs. And what he does here is he changes the focus of the object lesson. It still means to remember, but check this. He says, from now on, do this in remembrance of me. And it's so interesting that the only thing Jesus asks us to remember over and over is what happens to him on the cross. He didn't, he didn't, there's nowhere in scripture says, every year you must have a Christmas program in which we have kids wearing robes, dressing up as shepherds, and we vilify the innkeeper. Like, it doesn't say, remember my birth. It doesn't say, every year have an Easter pageant. Remember my resurrection. No. What does Jesus say? Over and over and over and over and over again, what I want you to remember is I want you to remember what I'm getting ready to do. Remember my death. Remember that it's the main reason I came. This is the central thing. I don't have anything else to give you unless you believe and understand my death. But it's not just that Christ's death is a central point of history. The second takeaway is this. Christ's death is essential for every Christian. Remember the significance of the, the four cups? Cup of sanctification, the cup of, of redemption, deliverance, the cup of praise. Here's what he said after taking the, the third cup. Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And what he's saying here is of great importance. He's not just seeing, saying, I did this for people in a general sense. No, what he's saying is my blood is going to be poured out on behalf of you. And you're like, yeah, he's talking to disciples. No, hold on a second. In John chapter 17, we have what's called, commonly called the high priestly prayer where Jesus is praying. And it's his final prayer. And you know who he prays for? Yes, he prays for disciples in the room, but he also prays for every person who is going to believe, of the, uh, going to believe because of the preaching of these disciples. That includes every person in this room. He wants every one of us to know that the pouring out of, of, of blood, it's, it's not just this, this general good deed, a noble deed. No, I did this for you. I, I did this so you didn't have to die. I did this to save you, to deliver you, to redeem you, to make you mine. I did this for you. Now remember, what, what, what was the central part of the, of the Passover meal? What was the central part? The lamb. This is a part of the, of the Passover meal was the lamb. The lamb 
was the point of Passover and the, re- the, the, the reason why they would come back, that they, God didn't want them to forget what had taken place in Egypt. It wasn't just enough that they ate the lamb when it was killed. It was that when the blood was spilled, they, they put it on the sides of the door and at the, at the top of the, of the door jam so that when the angel of judgment came, the judgment would pass over them. Now, it's interesting because God didn't say, you know, I'm only going to judge the Egyptians. You Israelites are safe. If you go back to Exodus, he didn't say that. He didn't say, I'm, I'm only going to judge those who have the wrong religion. Not if, man, if, if you believe the main parts of, of what I, you're, you're safe. No, no. Sacrifice had to be made for all people if you're going to escape judgment. In essence, what, what he was saying is what is repeated in the New Testament. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And what he's saying was your only hope of salvation is taking shelter under the blood of the lamb applied to the door jam. And don't miss this. That night when the angel showed up in Egypt, in every household in Egypt, there was either a dead lamb or there was a dead son. And I want you to just, man, if we could just put ourselves there. If you are the firstborn, you look at the lamb and you cannot help but think because that lamb died, I can now live. That thought changes everything. When you looked at the lamb, you had to be able to say, that lamb died for me. And it's interesting, if you, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it talks about the cup, it talks about the bread, it talks about the dipping, it talks about the washing. You know what is never mentioned in any of the accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when it comes to the Last Supper? It never talks about the lamb. There's no mention, there had to be a lamb on the table, but there's no mention of the lamb. Jesus didn't take the lamb and say, from now on, when you gather, pulls off some mutton, eat this in remembrance of me. There is no mutton on the menu today. We take the bread, we take the cup. There was no mention of the lamb. And you know why that's the case? Because what Jesus said when he said, my body's gonna be broken, my blood's gonna be spilled, he was telling them, I am becoming the lamb. I am the lamb. When we take the elements, when we take the bread, we take the cup, the lamb is present. And listen, guys, this is why when we take communion, like this is no small thing. This isn't like some religious thing that we do just to, we do it because it's what you do in church. No, 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 this is God's, ob- God's object lesson. He wants to make sure that we understand this. Jesus became the lame, lamb. He became our substitute. He took our place. Do you believe this? Because here's the deal. This, this isn't like, I kind of believe this. I believe this and I believe that. This is an all or nothing proposition. There's only, there's only one thing, there's only one way. Listen, if Jesus is not the only way, then his death is one messed up, jacked up act. 
It's a farce. You're like, oh, man, you're getting pretty passionate about this. Hold on a second. How do you express your love for someone else? Thank God we have the five love languages. Gary Thomas. You know, you know gifts, act, you know, acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation, or what? You know, you know what I'm saying? It's all good. It's all true. What is not included in the five act in the five uh, love languages is I'm going to kill myself for you. Because if, if you said to someone, I love you so much, in fact, I'm going to show you how much I love you, and you jumped into a raging river and you died, the person's like, that's messed up. <laughs> like you didn't prove a thing. That, you actually left me with pain. That, that leaves me with baggage. You, you, your suicide is illogical, irrational. That was self-centered. It has nothing to do with me. But if on the other hand, the person, the object of your love had fallen into a raging river and you jumped in and you died getting them to safety, oh. then we say, oh, that person loved that person. You see, if Jesus died and there was another way, his death is a cosmic joke. But if his death is the only way, it matters more than anything. It's precious. It's evidence of his love. There's not a single person that can say, God does not love you if you believe that Jesus died for you. The cross speaks otherwise. That's why I say this is an all or nothing proposition. And guys, this is a crazy thing. I mean, every religion is based on performance, it seems. You know, you make, you do this, you know, karma. Do, you do good, good will come to you. You know, it's like this transactional thing. You do good, then you'll get blessed. Man, Romans 5 says that Jesus died for us when we were yet sinners. We don't come to him with anything other than ourselves saying, God, save me. But I believe because of what Christ did, I can be saved. Jesus said in, in Mark 10.45 that he came to give his life as a ransom. He paid the debt for many, which means that his betrayal, we're going to be looking at this over the next few weeks, his betrayal, his arrest, his death, there isn't one part of the story that happened accidentally. Every single detail in God's object lesson makes perfect sense and it's there for a reason. And I'll leave you with this before we take communion together, church. The last takeaway that I want you to write down is Christ's death then is the confidence of every Christian. It's the reason we take communion. Like, this, like what we're gonna do today has been happening. We can go all the way back to Acts chapter two. This is right after, 50 days after Jesus died. They would come together and, and, and they, would, they would take the bread and they would take the cup and they would remember. And for centuries we've been doing this. But it's not just this ritual, it's meaningful, it's, it's personal. It's a, it, it's, it's, honestly, it's, it's almost a means by which we're, we're involving ourselves in the story because we are part of the story.
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his unique one and only son, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. He's, he's the blood on the door jam. This, as we come forward and we, we take this, yes, it's an object lesson. It is, it's still God's object lesson. He wants us he wants us to remember. It feeds our confidence. We remember as we, as we take the bread and, and, and we take the cup, how much he loves us. We remember the cross. We remember his sacrifice, all that, all that he did so that we could be saved. And if Jesus would have stopped at the cross, it would have been, been enough. But what's that last verse that we read this morning? Verse 29. Check this out. He said, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new. Check out this. With you. He didn't say, when I drink it new, and it's just him. He said, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so when we, we look at the bread and we look at the cup, it's just not an object lesson that goes back to the cross. It's, it's like the Passover. Yes, it looks back, but it also foreshadows something that's to come. It reminds us that Jesus is coming back, that there, there's going to be a time when we're going to partake of this, not just here, but there, it reminds us, it reminds us that, that there's, there's not just a day in which the king staggered to Calvary carrying a cross, but there's a day when he is coming back in power and in glory. And when he comes back, he's coming back for us. What this reminds us is that Jesus came from heaven to accomplish his work on earth so that those of us who are here on earth can have the promise of eternal life spent with him in heaven. Oh, when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're not only remembering that day, that sad day, but you're remembering the day that is coming. You see, today we live between two days, the day on Calvary, the cross, and there's a second day, the day that is yet to come, where Jesus is coming back and he's gonna finish the work that he started. And so what do we do in the gap? Oh, we remember and we anticipate. And so as we close this service and we take communion, this is no small careless thing. Let's laugh and giggle and take this care. That is not the point of this. This is remembering what Christ did. This is a central part of history. Everything before was leading up to the cross. Everything since then looks back at the cross. We can enjoy this because of the cross and it gives us the promise of eternal life. And so I would say, there's still qualifications. Do not take communion if you're not a believer. You're spitting in the face of God. This is for those who say we're not perfect. We believe that Christ is our only hope, that Jesus Christ did this for us. And so as you come, come with this confidence that he did it for you. Maybe as a time of confession, I would say this, maybe you're not a child of God. Can I tell you, just, it's, it's faith. We're saved by grace through faith. What, what, what's, what's our faith? Our faith is in what Christ did on the cross. If you're not a believer, you can become a believer this morning. And you can know that just like that, you're a child of God. And you can partake with a clean, clear conscience. Confession needs to happen. Take the confession. As you take the bread, you take the cup. 
I'm gonna have the front half come to the left. You'll go back in the, the right. Back half, same thing. Let's take this. Oh, remembering that Christ did it for us. Remember, anticipate, and be glad. Come to the table.
so today we take the bread knowing that instead of representing the bread of affliction eaten by the guys in the wilderness, the fathers in the wilderness, it represents the body of Christ, which was broken for us. Eat this and be thankful that he did it for you. In the same way, we take the cup knowing this represents the blood of Christ, the lamb. It's the blood, it's the covering of the blood that matters more than anything. We remember that his blood was spilled for us. Drink this and be thankful. Father, we thank you for the sacred moment that we have as a family of God to remember, remember, thanks to your object lesson, who you are, what you've done, what Christ did, and what it means to us today. It anchors our confidence. We thank you for our salvation, but in this moment we remember that our salvation was bought with the price. We didn't pay the price, but Christ did. We say thank you. But God, we also anticipate what is yet to come. We know that there's a day that Jesus is returning. And man, when we look around and ah, there's so much going on, we say even so, come Lord Jesus. But God, between that day, or between the cross and your second coming. And so what we do in the middle is that we live in confidence, knowing that we're forgiven. We carry out the mission that we've been given to tell somebody else about the good news that we've received. And Father, we remember to say thank you. And so God, I pray that you would continue to change your people, that we would never again take these elements in the same way. May we remember what it means. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said... Amen. I would say this, if this morning you gave, you, you just responded to a Christ and, and you asked him to save you, we want to help you take your next steps. If you stop by the next steps wall and you let us know, we'll have somebody that'll follow up to you. We've got a gift for you. We'd love to help you uh, grow. But I can't wait to see what God has in store for us as we go in. So don't, you know, as we go into Easter season, don't forget to grab this on your way out. Bring somebody with you. Sign the cards. Remember the prayer and praise service is coming up Tuesday night. But go knowing that God is with you. You know what? Let's do this. As we stand, I want to I wanna close uh, singing Amazing Grace, Key of G. And so I th this is like a familiar song. I think you can sing this with me, but it says it all. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Christ is for you. You're dismissed.